to the Writing Time Podcast. I'm Blake Guthrie from the University of North Florida. I'm here today to continue our journeys through the collected works of Samuel Beckett and Anton Chekhov. Tonight we'll be continuing our detour away from the main body of Beckett and Chekhov's text. Rather, we'll be exploring this week Walter Benjamin's essay, The Storyteller, in which he reflects not on Chekhov, but on another Russian writer, Nikolai Leskov. Uh, forgive me if those sound damn near identical. For those who have not read Benjamin, he's a fantastic writer and a philosopher from the late 19th to mid-20th century who left many remarkable works behind. Unfortunately, in my philosophy undergrad career, he never came up. It took my English classes to bring his materials to mind. In any case, we'll be dealing with his writings tonight. Benjamin's essay on The Storyteller begins by arguing that the storyteller in his living immediacy is by no means a present force. Rather, he is remote from us and is, in fact, getting more distant all the time. Benjamin writes, Viewed from a certain distance, the great, simple outlines which define the storyteller stand out to him, or rather, they become visible in him, just as a rock, a human head, or an animal's body may appear to an observer at the proper distance and angle of vision. This distance teaches us that the art of storytelling, according to Benjamin, is coming to an end. Now, if we ignore the historical inaccuracy and retrospective hyperbole with which we are examining Benjamin's articles, then there actually appears to be some prescience underlying its inaccuracy regarding such developments in visual rhetorics, not to mention composition courses, and studies of writing in dynamic, online, elsewhere kind of mediums. Benjamin describes the embarrassment with which storytelling is often married to, and yet is an inalienable, inalienable facet of our psychology. The ability to exchange experiences... But experience, according to Benjamin, has fallen in value. Indeed, it f its fall appears to be bottomless. And yet, the battlefield to push back against the gravity of the situation, so to speak, has grown silent with its efforts. For Benjamin writes, never has experience been contradicted more thoroughly than strategic experience by tactical warfare. Economic experience by inflation bodily experience by mechanical warfare, moral experience by those in power. In the second part of Benjamin's essay, he writes of how experience, which is passed on from mouth to mouth, is the source from which all storytellers have drawn. Indeed, the focus then falls on these nameless storytellers, for the corporeality of the storyteller is incomplete insofar as they have a distant relationship with the broader network of other storytellers. Here, Benjamin makes the distinction between travel and local stories, and how, respectively, they grab our intuitions and our emotions. Given this distinction, he writes that if no one wants to picture these two kinds of stories in terms of their archaic representatives, then each sphere of life must then produce its own tribe of storytellers. Benjamin then concludes to elaborate on the lore of the past. 
Stories, Benjamin writes, are often, if not always, oriented towards practical interests. We want to know, openly or covertly, he writes, something useful. This usefulness may be in a moral, in, in, in practical advice, in a proverb or a maxim, etc., but it must be useful. In every case, he writes, the storyteller is a man who has counsel for his readers. The value of this storyteller, though diminishing in number, is only increasing as the communicability of experience is simultaneously decreasing. For counsel, Benjamin writes, woven into the fabric of real life is wisdom. The art of storytelling, then, embraces both the epic side of truth and the wisdom of dying. We, like Lunbury's essay from the previous podcast, suggest that the need to see beauty in what is vanishing is something that we are almost entirely blind towards, ignorant of. The novel, Benjamin goes to argue, is the earliest symptom of a process whose end is the decline of storytelling. The novel, as opposed to the story, is both prose and tradition. The novel has isolated himself, or the novelist has isolated himself, from society, from tradition, from real-time accountable feedback. And to write the novel, writes Benjamin, Benjamin, means to carry the incommensurable to extremes in the representation of human life. In the midst of life's fullness and through the representation of this fullness, the novel gives evidence of the profound perplexity of the living. By integrating the social process with the development of a person, writes Benjamin, it, 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 be, it betrays and it bestories the most frangible justification on the order of determining it. The legitimacy it provides stands in direct opposition to reality, particularly in Buildings Roman, which is the coming-of-age kind of trope. Benjamin moves on into the inadequacy of forms and their transformation into epic ones. The new form of communication, he argues, is information. This harkens the 20th century philosopher, American philosopher, John Dewey's idea that all communication is educative and that information has the bits of communication. All communication is information. All communication is educative. Information then must be educative. Interesting side note slash footnote. And so this might be, in Benjamin's view, especially given our era in 2017 when I am recording this during the era of fake news, alternative facts, and all else. Meaning that, as Benjamin predicted, meaning is undermined in a way that compromises even rudimentary notions of information. Benjamin moves on to say that we are poor in noteworthy stories, or rather that the rich, both spiritually and monetarily, are not the stories we dream of passage passage on through generations, through through friends and other social circles and tradition. The reason for this is because no event any longer comes to us without already being shot through with explanation. In other words, almost nothing that happens benefits storytelling itself. 
Yet, almost everything benefits information. Moving through the seventh section of Benjamin's essay, and I know this sounds like we just skipped a lot. The last time I mentioned a section by name is two, but this is a long essay. I find some beautifully important moments in his writing. And for instance, he describes the true nature of storytelling itself. The value of information does not survive in the moment in which it was new. It lives only at that moment. It has to surrender to it completely and explain to itself it without losing any time. A story is different. It does not expend itself. It preserves and concentrates its strength and is capable of releasing it even after a long time. Benjamin goes on to write of grief and theater, specifically our relationship to them in storytelling. There is nothing, he writes, that commends a story to memory more effectively than that chaste compactness which precludes psychological analysis. Moreover, boredom comes to play here. If sleep is the apogee of physical relaxation, boredom is the apogee of mental relaxation. Boredom is the dream bird that hatches the egg of experience, he writes. With this, the gift for listening is lost, and the community of listeners disappears, for storytelling is always the art of repeating stories. And that is the art which is lost when the stories are no longer retained. In regards to time, Benjamin writes, Modern man no longer works at what cannot be abbreviated. And here, this notion might come deeply into play with regard to Beckett's text specifically, uh, the text from nothing, and even the trilogy, the seemingly impenetrable walls of text that make up those books, those sections, those chapters, where you think that Beckett could have written all of these details, all these stories, these images, these anecdotes, these philosophizing moments, these contradictory, repetitive scenes in the space of a third of the book. And yet he doesn't. He spends the heck out of his time going around in circles and circles and circles. And it can be frustrating and, and oppressive and claustrophobic and so forth. Yet, modern man, if we interpret that to be Beckett, no longer works at what cannot be abbreviated. So Beckett's texts in this notion, according to Benjamin, couldn't have been abbreviated. They must exist in, in the way that they were written and couldn't have been written in any other fashion. That's interesting to approach the text otherwise. And so for the purposes of this podcast, we're getting a little carried away and we'll cut off the episode now, halfway through these, these bits of Benjamin's essay, The Storyteller. We're at the 10th chapter, and as much as I'd love to continue, I'm trying to encourage essentially a more regular schedule with these episodes, which means a more condensed format with a more close reading attitude and fewer reactions, fewer tangents, and less content overall per episode. I'd rather have more episodes with less con content than, uh, than more, or, oh, well, that didn't come out right at all. You can go ahead and say I'm flustered. I mean to say, let's get let's start getting episodes out. I don't care if we cut content off as long as we get the episodes out from for now. And if we start getting into a good flow, then we will bulk up the content in the episodes. We will not sacrifice the amount of episodes for the quality and vice versa. But before we depart, we have to visit the tradition of this podcast, which is to visit Stoicism. The philosophy which is always vitally aware of time and its implications for our own lives and our impending mortality.
So today's is how satisfying it is to dismiss and block out any upsetting or foreign impression and immediately to have peace in all things. That's from Marcus Aurelius Meditations. Thinking about satisfaction in terms of Benjamin, in terms of the storytelling. I've seen a lot of this lately where we get upset to foreign opinions. If people disagree with us, we freak out, shut down, start calling the other person names, start assuming the motives for why they believe or, or saying the thing they believe. And we don't actually listen. We don't actually pay attention. We don't try to learn. We don't try to know the person. We try to shut them down so we can go back to our echo chamber. And that this is almost a tried observation, and yet nothing is being done to fix it. If I read this Aurelius quote once again, how satisfying it is to dismiss and block out any upsetting or foreign impression and then immediately to have peace in all things. So in a sense, there's a pleasure of tuning out the negative and that could be a strength, but it also is a, is a negative if it, com- if it comes to determining what's true about the world, determining what's worth knowing about the world, and especially determining how you should be in relation to others in terms of conviction, convincing, and confidence in belief. I'm not trying to proselytize here. I'm just trying to essentially say that if we are going to be satisfied in our lives, we can't dismiss and block people we disagree with. Well, of course we can dismiss and block people that are negative impacting on our lives, but I don't think people who disagree with us are. And I don't think Marcus Aurelius would say so. But to to then do so is both to immediately have peace in all things, to have a peace of mind, but it also doesn't create external peace. That requires action. It requires an engagement. It requires an admission rather than a dismissal. And so that for tonight's podcast will be another concluded moment. Think about how you should and shouldn't engage with storytelling, with your relationship to stories, your relationship to communication, your relationship to information. Until next time, I'm Blake Guthrie, your host, and you've been listening to the Writing Time Podcast. Stay curious.